Welcome into the Fog.net podcast, Scott Chasen alongside Michael Swain. So here's a quick rundown of what we're going to get to today. Today we'll be talking about the KU basketball roster, how it changes now that Sam Cunliffe has departed the university, what KU might be looking for in recruiting, how that has shifted, and, and we'll talk a little bit about the scholarship information uh, and, and some information that we've been able to learn kind of over the last Uh, really over the entire evaluation period as it's been open so far. So a lot of KU basketball topics coming today. Again, fog.net podcast, kansas.247sports.com. You can read a lot of this information there, and especially for our subscribers who have been uh, who have all week gotten to, to read some exclusives, some recruiting updates, some stories. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, a uh, top Kansas target, was in Kansas. We've got a story on Matthew Hurt, story on Zach Harvey, two more KU targets coming this week, and, and really a lot of interesting stuff up there. So before we jump into all of that, Swain, Michael Swain is joining us all the way from Mexico, all the way on vacation. So Swain, a special thank you for joining us. And if there's anything you would like to say to make everyone else jealous of your time in Mexico, you've got 30 seconds to do so. Well, thank you. I wouldn't miss this podcast for the world. And I will just say one thing. I'm recording and I'm looking over the beach right now. So that is all I'll say. I'm not going to brag anymore. I'm not going to be the person that's constantly talked about my vacation. That's it. Let's get right into it. You would have every right to. Mexico sounds great right now, although it might be a little bit hot, I guess, down there. How warm is it there? It's like 88 usually during the day, but if there's a nice freeze, it's honestly perfect weather. I can't complain at all. I might be joining you there by the end of this podcast. <laughs> we'll see. All right, all right. Let's. So obviously, if you're a KU basketball fan, you know last week Sam Cunliffe transferred away from the university. We're going to spend like five minutes just kind of rehashing that and, and what that does before we get into maybe how that affects the team moving forward. But let's start with that decision just because we haven't broken it down on this medium. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. I mean, w- when you saw the news – I think there's like a maybe a little bit of a surprise just because he already sat out a year, so he's going to be sitting out a second full year of college basketball. But in terms of like he wasn't going to get minutes, so it, you know he's transferring. It doesn't seem like it was that big of a surprise. No, and I tweeted out when the news came out. No big surprise. Sam Cunliffe will transfer from KU. I kind of thought that he would transfer as soon as Ojai Baji signed, and when Lajil Vic came back, that was the nail in the coffin. He really didn't have a choice to leave. You know, he didn't play last year when it was the thinnest roster they've had in a long time. And if he couldn't get minutes then, there's no way he was going to get minutes with this deep of a roster. So it makes sense, I think, for both parties. You know, Bill doesn't have to juggle another guy that wants minutes who, from what I've read and from talking to him a tiny bit, from a guy that feels like he's an NBA player. Do you think that? Do you kind of agree with that, his self-evaluation of himself? Well, I definitely think Sam Cunliffe thinks that he should have played more than he did last year, not in a negative way, but just in terms of, like you mentioned, the roster was really thin and and like he, he was okay in one game. And then he was talking about how he thinks he's kind of like a good defensive player and whatnot. He's got a lot of confidence. I'll I'll say that above all else. Um, You know, I I think you're spot on with the idea that I understand why some fans wanted to see more of Sam Cunliffe. He's a good three point shooter and he's a very athletic dude. So those two things in of itself, great highlight potential, and he's going to make a lot of plays that kind of stand out to you. But at the same time, I mean, this is a guy, self put him in a game. I I remember he fouled the jump shooter. I think this was a Big 12 game. 
foul the jump shooter like within like 10 seconds of being in the game and self pulled him and he didn't play the rest of the game. And it was just like, it's a good reminder that you can do a couple things well, but when the other options in front of you are a senior Svimakai Luke, uh, Luke LeGerald Vick, who was struggling at times that year, but again, he still can probably produce more than Sam Cunliffe. Even a guy like Marcus Garrett, who you know is going to be steady defensively, give you that rebounding. You know, what you need from your fifth starter is very seldom like exciting highlight potential plays. It's usually just like, for lack of a better term, don't screw anything up. Like you're yeah. throwing that guy out there, like just don't do anything to hurt us because Devonte Graham and Malik Newman will score the points and, you know, you know, will do whatever. So, um, in that regard, I I do kind of agree. I mean, I, I was thinking about this question as we were starting this. What would you consider the highlight of Sam Cunliffe's KU career? The first basket he made. It was a lob that he had in transition. I don't remember what game it was. It was over Christmas break, though, and he just had a nice, just in transition, a lob. It was his first basket for KU, and I think that was the only highlight that we posted at the Kansan from him in his entire time at KU. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I was struggling to come up with one. And, and, you know, he was a good kid to talk to and, and whatnot, and you mentioned that. And, and like, he, he was always, like I said, very confident and very honest with how he was feeling. Um, but but I think he saw the writing on the wall. And, you know, I, I think he had a chance to compete for minutes when Ochai Agbaji returned, but I think he was still going to be, like, Kansas's sixth wing, maybe. And then when LeGerald Vick came back... I, I mean, obviously, it flipped it all. It didn't flip it all on its head. It just buried him a little bit more. And so, so I, you mentioned it being a good decision for both parties, and I, I totally agree. I think it's good that KU kind of granted him that release to any school other than a Big Twelve school. And I think it'll be really interesting to see where he ends up because I could see him, you know, impacting or affecting a program in a, in a positive way. I mean, like, like I said, a three point shooter having that guy on the wings and an athlete like. Who knows, by the time he's a senior, you know, two years from now, he could end up being a really solid player. You know, at the same time, it's so hard for him to say, like, well, I'm going to sit out this year, and mm. Kansas is going to try and recruit talent over me because Kansas recruits talent over everybody because it's Kansas basketball. So I'm going to sit out this year and, let's say, redshirt at Kansas. Well, what if he's in the same situation next year, and now he's wasted another year? And, you know, at a certain time, it, he was lucky, sort of. Because he transferred midway through his freshman year and then set out midway, through, you know, the first half of his sophomore yeah. year, he played through two years, burned two years of eligibility, and also sat out a full year within those two years. So because of that, he can transfer, sit out another year, and he doesn't have to worry about applying for a sixth-year waiver because he'll only be a redshirt senior in his fifth and not his sixth year. So in that regard, that really did free him up to transfer. And I guess uh, – you know, for him to be willing to sit out another year, I think speaks a little bit to maybe his growth and maturity and saying, I am maybe not even, it's not that he's not good enough to play at Kansas, but I won't have that opportunity. And I think if you were to like rank the KU wings in terms of minutes, it would be in some combination, your top three would be Grimes, uh, LeGerald Vick and Marcus Garrett, KJ Lawson might be in that tier too. Uh, and that's really when you start to get into it. Then, then you, it becomes Ochai Agbaji versus Sam Cunliffe. Uh, and if you want to just take a look at the KU backcourt as a whole, because Charlie Moore and Devon Dotson are going to play alongside each other at times and eat up some some shooting guard minutes. I mean, really, at best, Sam Cunliffe is your sixth guard. 
and he's probably closer to being seven, if my math was right there, because you know that Dotson, Moore, Grimes, Garrett, Vic, and Lawson, so that's six. They're all getting more minutes than him. Agbaji, 50-50. So he's either your seventh guard or your eighth guard, and at that point, I mean, you you don't really have much of a decision. Where where do you see – I mean, do do you think he would have gotten any minutes on next year's team? Not really, unless uh, Ochayabaji redshirted, which would have been a route that I think they would have looked at if Sam had decided to stay. I I just don't see how you would want to play him over Ochai when you have two more years left, if that, of Cunliffe, but you have four years or five if he chooses to redshirt of Ochai that you can want to develop him. So it doesn't make sense when you all of a sudden have this young guy now and you could play the older guy, but that also will help hurt the development of the younger guy. And I, I think that I just don't think he would have played, honestly. He, it's just that defensively, like he talks about, you know, he's really good, but when he got into games, he just did look lost at times. And I just don't think he would have been able to fight for those minutes. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. And I, I think it's interesting. I still think Ochayag Baji could redshirt, which. I mean, it speaks to the crazy depth of this team that you could have a player transfer right before the season and still be considering redshirting another. But, you know, I, I think ultimately he may end up playing just because Ochai Baji yeah. is probably athletic enough to affect games as is. But at the same time, he's starting as your seventh guard. And really, if, if, you re- if it really came down to it, you kind of need like maybe five guards tops, given that this team will be set at the big men position at all times. So... I mean, with him being seven, uh, I mean seven on the in the roster in that area. I mean, he he's gonna play in the wings. He'll probably get some minutes at the two or the three. You know, maybe some mop up minutes if he does play. But I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world to him for him to redshirt. Even though I think the staff is pretty high on him, I think uh, there's definitely some thought. You know, the Travis Relliford comp is a, a popular one, but I think mm-hmm. there's thought that he could be better than a player like Travis Relliford by the time his four year career is over or five years. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of optimism about Ochai Agbaji. It's just his current team. It's like uh, KU's number one in the BPI. You've already got, uh, and, and we can talk about this in a second, but like people tweeting that Quentin Grimes might be the best freshman in, or best player in the nation, which I, I ran that comment by several members of the program and was told like, uh, no, that's not going to be the case, but he's a, he's a good player. They're very high on him. Uh, but, but, I was told, I was like, yeah, that's not, I'm not sure which college coaches were saying that Quentin Grimes would be the best player in the country, like John Rothstein tweeted, or Rothstein, but uh, I, I was told that that is uh, uh, maybe a little bit of an exaggeration of, of his talent level. Again, even though the KU coaching staff is very high on Quentin Grimes, I, I mean, they have made comparisons to other, you know, top guards. I you know, I, I think he has the potential to even be better than a guy like like a Kelly Oubre was in college, uh, and mm. I think he's he's supposed to be a lottery pick right now, and that's about where Kelly Oubre's range was. So, uh, obviously, there are extremely high hopes for Quentin Grimes, who, uh, I, I, like I said, the coaching staff absolutely loves. I would not bet on him being the best player in college basketball as a mm-hmm. freshman, though, and I think it would be a good first step for him to start. Uh, I think he will start at the two guard. And then I think you kind of go from there and uh, and see how good he is. Did, did you see that tweet, by the way? And did you have a reaction to it? I did see it. And I thought that that was interesting. Can can he be the best player in the nation if he's not going to be the best player on his own team? 
you saw like last year, <laughs> it's kind of a joke, but Jalen Brunson wasn't even the best player on Villanova. Like Mikael Bridges was the best player on Villanova yet. Brunson won national player of the year. That's not what's going to happen here. Grimes is going to be an incredible player. He'll be a top five pick, I bet, by the when it's all said and done. But I still think Diedrich Lawson's the best player on this team. Oh, yeah, I agree. Again, that's not a knock on Grimes, but no. you know the Q coaching staff has called Diedrich Lawson their best scorer, their best passer, like a guy who just knows how to play. And, and Lawson may not be an NBA guy, but or, or he, he'll probably go early, but he may not be like an NBA star or a lottery pick or anything like yeah. that. Uh, but he very like he should be KU's best player uh, in this upcoming season. And, and again, I mean, neither one. I think we're both very high on Quentin Grimes. I mean, you just said you think he'll be a top five pick, and I definitely think he'll be probably a lottery pick. Uh, which I, I could see him more in like maybe the the six to fifteen range of that. But but again, we're both projecting him as a high first rounder, so yeah. uh, I think we're both definitely high on him. But yeah, I, when I saw that, I. I I, I kind of laughed a little bit. So let's let's talk the key rotation since we're mm. on this topic. Let's just run through who we think, uh, maybe both think is going to start this year. I, before Vic came back, I was kind. I was thinking that Marcus Garrett would probably start just because he fits well with the starters, and and it wouldn't shock me if he still started to begin the season, especially uh, just because he, he does things that are different than what a lot of players in that lineup will provide. Charlie Moore, for example, if he starts, he's more of a shooter type. Uh, Quentin Grimes, good offensive player, although a pretty good defensive player. Diedrich Lawson, good uh, rim protector, but obviously known as a scorer. Yudok Asabuki is going to be really good offensively and defense actually needs to improve. So I think having Marcus Garrett at the three would be uh, maybe a good fit, but I think the most common starting lineup you will see this year, the most common five right now will be Dotson, Grimes, Vic, Lawson, Asabuki. And I'm not sure that's the lineup that's going to start the year. But I think that will be the lineup that it, that takes over when they kind of figure things out in non-conference play. Wouldn't shock me if Charlie Moore and Marcus Garrett started at, you know the first few games of the season. But I think that five I just named, which again is Dotson, Grimes, Vic, Lawson, Asabuki, I think that will be your most common starting five. Swain, where do you kind of see that out? I, I kind of agree with that idea, but I think that Charlie will end up starting for most of the season. And I think that also what we'll see a lot of is Dotson running the point, Charlie being the two, Quentin at the three, Diedrich at the four, Doke at the five. But pure starting-wise, yeah, I think it's going to be Charlie, Quentin, Lou Gerald, Diedrich, and Yudoka as booty. I think I thought originally Marcus would fit there because he would be the defensive guy out of the guards there because you have Charlie who can shoot, Quentin who's kind of an all-around guy, and then you've got Marcus who can kind of guard the other team's best guard, at least on the defensive end. Uh, I still think Diedrich Lawson at the four is great. And Doke at the five, yeah, as you said, he's got to improve defensively. Just his positioning has got to get a lot better. He's really good defending like pick and rolls, but when he's guarding out on the perimeter, he just sometimes can look lost and makes the wrong decisions. But I, yeah, I think at the end of the season, it would not surprise me if we see a crunch time lineup of Dotson, Moore, Grimes, Lawson and Azubuke. Wouldn't shock me either a crunch ton lineup with both Lawson's in it, given Azubuke's free throws. Yeah, with Azubuke's defense, definitely. I think positioning, uh, defensive rebounding, consistent effort going for for those, and and defensive rebounding obviously being a part of defense that I feel like sometimes maybe people kind of overlook. Uh, Wasn't good enough guarding uh, any, not even guarding out like guards on the perimeters, but like you were talking, I mean like Amari Spellman is a prime example of just like, 
being in the right spots, knowing, you know, how far you can range, consistent effort, consistent attention to detail position, like his rim protection should be a lot better than it is. He looks like an imposing presence because he's seven feet tall and 280 pounds. Uh, but it, he should be a better rim protector. Flat out, people can say that he was a good rim protector, but the games KU lost last year was because little guards consistently drove to the rim and scored. And if Azubuki is this great rim protector, then theoretically he should be shutting those those things down and, and obviously wasn't able to last year. So I, I expect him to make a, a pretty sizable jump forward one more thing on Sam Cunliffe, because it's interesting now, for the 2018 class, so that's the current class in recruiting, mm-hmm. this actually does open up a scholarship. And uh, recent news reported, I want to say it was ESPN first, uh, the idea that Kyra Lewis, who is this four-star point guard, uh, he's been a riser, you know, when I, we've, I first spoke with him and first uh, kind of did a story on his recruitment by KU, he was a, a fringe top 100 guy. I think he might have actually been just outside the top 100 um, he has since kind of risen up the ranks. I believe he's in the thirties now. I'll go back and check that. But, uh, Kyra Lewis, pretty good point guard. Uh, pretty interesting because the KU stuff has been on him. He actually said in an interview that a KU assistant told him he could be like a better Frank Mason, which I chuckled at wow. because I'm fairly certain that's probably not what the coach told him, but it was probably something along the lines of like, you could be like Frank Mason or something. And he may have interpreted it that way, but, uh, I thought that was interesting. I've kind of looked into things a little bit and kind of the sense that I get uh, talking to all parties involved is that I think Kyra Lewis is is likely the, – the big school in his recruitment right now is Alabama. It's the in-state mm-hmm. school, and Memphis yep. is another one that's in on him. Or, or Memphis is another one that's been mentioned because of potential package deals. I don't actually believe they've offered him, but that could be interesting if Penny Hardaway wanted to kind of jump in and say, hey, we'll reconfigure – like we'll make things work to get you on campus now so that you can play with some of these guys who have been mentioned in package deals with. That That's a kind of fluid situation. But Alabama seems to be the school uh, that if he were going to go to one – in any class, they they seem to kind of be the favorite for him. And KU does have an open scholarship, but the more and more I think about this, it seems like using a scholarship on a point guard like this, who's not going to play much this year because you've already got Devon Dotson and Charlie and Charlie Moore. Those guys are going to play a lot of your point guard minutes, even though I also think there's a sentiment among the KU staff that Moore would be better alongside a true point guard. He might be a little bit better off ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of in a shooting scoring role, you called him like said, mentioned he'd be playing some two guard, and I, I think that's spot on. Um, even so, I'm not sure he would be the best fit for Kansas in terms of what the team no. needs now, which would mean Kansas probably wouldn't be the best fit for him. Conversely, uh, I, I think he's a good player and will make a program better. But at the same time, if Dotson and Moore were to come back again. You know, it'd be an extreme struggle for him to get minutes. He might chase off a guy like a Marquise Jacobs or affect things in the class where, you know, like an RJ Hampton or a Cole Anthony wouldn't want to come to Kansas because you you have this guy here. So, uh, again, I I think we got a few questions about this on the premium board. I think that whenever you have a scholarship open, the natural inclination is just to be like, oh, well, we take, you know, this guy X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, fans will be like, oh yeah, Kate, we want this guy. Like he's available. We have a scholarship. Let's take him. And I think there could be a benefit in maintaining flexibility because now with Cunliffe gone, so you have one scholarship open. Vic is going to be gone. That's two scholarships open. 
Azubuki, Diedrich Lawson will probably both be gone. That's four scholarships open. Quentin Grimes will almost certainly be gone. That's five scholarships open. Sylvia DeSosa could be gone. That's six. What if Devon Dotson blew up and went? That would be seven. You you want to maintain as much flexibility to fill in your class with the players that you need when you're going to be in a situation where they're going to know they have Charlie Moore coming back. So you're, you're going to have a point guard back. They will have pro, at, almost certainly Marcus Garrett and KJ Lawson back. Yep. So you're going to have a couple wings. David McCormick is almost certainly coming back, and yes. they're going to be bringing in a couple big men in the class. So you've got kind of that situation there. Now you really, you've got the kind of makings of your roster. You want to start to fill it out. And if Kyra Lewis then becomes a gigantic priority, then you go after and add a guy like him. But it, it's it's so tricky when there are so many guys with that type of decision to really load up. I mentioned this. Someone asked me how big they see the class being. I don't think KU would take five or six guys in the early signing period just because, I mean, LeGerald Vick was expected to go. Malik Newman was expected to go. Neither of these guys were selected in the draft, and Vick obviously returned to college. So you you never really know. So in in that regard, there's so many, like, intricate and kind of complicated things with this recruiting class that I would not expect Kyra Lewis to be brought in, even if it, it... if he did reclassify, which should be announced, I think he said at the beginning of August he's gonna he's gonna formally announce that. So uh, I think it's interesting to track. I don't think it's impossible because I do think the KU coaching staff likes him in general. Uh, but I, I think, like every decision, there would be a lot of kind of roster construction and things like that to to kind of navigate. Where do you see in terms of the KU roster? I mean, who who do you kind of see leaving early, and and do you have a guess on how many scholarships they'll have next year? Um, so I wrote down. So Diedrich will be gone. Doak will be gone. Quentin LaGerald. I wrote Charlie's a question mark, but I kind of thinking about that. That's crazy to think that he would leave early, and I do agree with that. I didn't write down Dotson's name, but I I really like that. I think that if he does play really well and he does get up in those minutes where he's in the 20 to 25 minute range, I think it's not un- unthinkable that he could leave early. I, ju- I don't see it, though. I think he could be a two and done more than a one and done. Um, and for filling the scholarship this year, I think of it as this to compare it to professional sports, at least. It's like cap space. Your scholarships are your, are your cap, basically. And what you're doing now is you have open cap space so you can if you need something you can make something work where you know if Kyra Lewis you if the coaches are high on him and they really want him then they can go that route but they don't have to they can wait till next year and save the scholarships but I don't know necessarily what numbers they'll be at to come when the end of the season comes and everyone declares for the draft so what do you think they're going to do with that last scholarship do you think that they're going to go after a wing not fill it this year I mean uh, for filling it next year do you think they go after a wing? Do you think they're going to go after another guard? You know, what do you think next year's team is going to need? Okay, so if I'm I'm kind of projecting what they're going to need, I think they're losing probably at least two big men. Uh, I think they're losing their top two wings, and I think they might retain both point guards. So I think the top of the recruiting class, the best players, are going to be five-star big men. I think KU will probably bring in at least two of them. I mean, the two names I've given and, and that I continue to think KU is is hitting hard right now are Jeremiah Robinson Earl and mm-hmm. Matthew Hurd. Bill Self and Norm Roberts were out to see Jeremiah Robinson Earl and KU had three coaches out to see Matthew Hurd this weekend and last. So uh, clearly those two guys are, are gigantic priorities for that staff. And 
in terms of wings, there are a lot of different names that have been thrown out. I continue to think Samuel Williamson is one. Uh, you could look at guys like Malik Hall, uh, who plays for Mocan. Mm-hmm. You could look at Chandler Lawson, uh, who's another guy. In the, like, I, I think that I think the, the top priority of the class right now is it, it's wings and big men because even if you do lose a guy in Devon Dotson, you can make that up if you, for example, bring in a combo guard and have that combo guard play alongside Charlie Moore. So if you're counting your RJ Hamptons and Cole Anthony's and your combo guards as more of like twos, you know, if you're counting them as wings, basically, basically not point guards primary, then I think that's where KU really like starts to look to, to kind of build its class. There are, there's some really interesting point guard names in there. Uh, Nico Manon is is one that a reclassifying player that I have at least in conversations with people who are very familiar with him. I think there's a belief he might be a lot better than than uh, even his ranking. And I think we have met eleven, and I think there there might be a sentiment that he he could be a a legit top five guy. And Josiah James is is another one that. Uh, I think he really impressed some people, not only with what he did at the FIBA Americas, but what he did just in training camp and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So uh, in that regard, I, I think there are a couple of really interesting point guards uh, that a team like Kansas could go after. Obviously, Marquise Jacobs is a little bit lower in the class, a little bit of a smaller guy. And, and you know, he's another guy. You mentioned the cap space thing. If you take him, he's probably going to be there for four years. So you're giving up a scholarship for four years, which is okay. You can afford to do that when you have, you know, a seven person class or six person class, yeah. whatever. But then like, if you start taking, if you take him and you take Kyra Lewis, and then uh, let's say one of the other point, like Josiah James wants to, to go to like, now all of a sudden you you've loaded up with three point guards and maybe one of them is going to get minutes, you know? So th- that's, that's kind of why I talk about that minutes distribution, but I think this KU class will be built around its big men, and I think it's very fascinating. We can talk about this briefly because I actually asked Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Billy Embody of 24-7 Sports. I reached out to him and had him ask Matthew Hurt the same question, and this will be coming in a story a little bit later. Um, the fit for Matthew Hurt next to Jeremiah mm-hmm. Robinson yes. Earl is really fascinating because neither one of them is the center. And so I, I think if they played together, KU, you could see maybe even have a, a little bit of trouble like with gigantic big men. However, uh, that is a duo that would be ridiculously oh. mobile, uh, uh, you know, running up and down the floor. It would have shooting. Matthew Hurt is, is a phenomenal shooter, and he is a lot stronger than people think. You know, when people say like deceptively, whatever it can come from different things. I do consider him deceptively strong because his upper body does not look that strong, whereas his lower body really does. So it, it's an important reminder that when he gets with someone like Hootie, uh, Andrew Hootie, the K strength coach, he will bulk, bulk up a little bit. And so uh, I think if he were to come to Kansas, you would see him add a little bit of strength, but really maintain that flexibility to have a really strong lower body, which would help him get up and down the floor and, and guard big men in the post because he he doesn't get moved as much as you'd think for a guy who quite frankly, like he doesn't weigh that much. And again, his upper body, his arms, his, his chest, they're not gigantic, even though I think he has an okay frame. Uh, I think he's an ultimate guy that if you just take a, you you glance at him, someone asked on the board, is he a good rebounder? It's like, that guy's that good of a rebounder. He doesn't look like he battles opposing big men. I, I think he absolutely does have that capability. So I think putting him next to a guy like Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who's listed at 6'9", I, apparently he measured at 6'9". I am stunned by that because I think he's closer probably to 6'7". But again, he's capable of that too. 
crazy athletic, great nose for the ball and rebounding, uh, kind of does a little bit of everything. Obviously, he's not a great shooter, but has a, a decent mid-range game and, and really just a solid feel for, for things. And he's the type of guy who, again, you would look at and be like, really? That guy's a, a top 20 recruit in the nation? but consistently goes out there and kind of puts those numbers, puts up those stats against guys who are. And it's like, well, I guess at a certain point, he's just kind of figured out basketball. So I think pairing the two of them together would give KU an incredibly mobile front court to get up and down the court, would have shooting, would have, I mean, a beautiful, just, just, it would be so much fun to watch uh, the the two of them kind of playing together. Any thoughts on that pairing? Because they both, for from my conversation with Jeremiah and Billy's conversation with Matthew Hurt, they both seem to be very open to that idea, and I think they both think it would be a lot of fun to play alongside each yeah, other. Yeah, that's what I, I read that when I was in the airport, actually, and I texted all my friends this, that I think that next year's team could be really good, too, with the fact that Jeremiah Robinson and Matthew Hurt can play together. But why do you think that they would actually play Hurt at the center spot, even with McCormick there? Wouldn't Why wouldn't they want to go with a work at the five, and then you got Hurt at the four, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl at the three. Because if he is six seven, or even if he is six nine, having him and he's mobile, and having him play the three, I feel like that could work too. Do you think that that could be an option for that? Oh yeah, I definitely do think it could be an option. More, I'm just talking about like if you wanted like a lineup to go specifically oh, fast sure. okay. or like kind of small. Cause the thing about Matthew hurt too, I think Matthew hurt in the NBA will be a three. Hmm. Uh, he's got, or, or I guess the NBA is constantly going smaller. So he would play a four, but like, I think he has the mobility to, to be a more perimeter guy. And Jeremiah Robinson, Earl guards guards quite frankly, he guards out on the perimeter with Casey run GMC, who I watched him with over the last week. So, uh, I think he's another guy. Like when people talk about playing three guard or three forward looks, like they're like, well, Dedrick Lawson could play the three or Mitch Lightfoot. And it's uh, like, n- they like technically could, but you wouldn't want them there because it's like this idea. So Julius Randle as a power forward in the NBA is kind of a, is a, is like a mismatch. It's kind of an issue because he's so much quicker than a lot of other power forwards. When fans see that and they say, well, just play him at the three, then you can put these up. Well, if you do that, now you lose his quickness. He's no longer way quicker than the guy guarding him because he's being guarded by a small forward. And it's like, you've just taken one of his biggest strengths and and kind of changed that. I don't think that's necessarily the case with guys like Hurd and Robinson Earl, because I think their skill sets like align themselves to a point where they could guard down at the next level in addition to to hurt kind of guarding up. So I I think if you wanted to recreate the FIBA Americas front court where they played four and five, I think that would be tremendous fun to watch. I definitely think there could be lineups where the two of them play alongside a guy named David McCormick. But but really, if those were your three big men and you've got 80 minutes between the three big men so they can all play an average of, I want to say, what, uh, is it 27 minutes per game? Is that... My math on that somewhere in the realm of that, about 27 minutes. Like, if those are your three big men, I mean, good Lord. You've got two five-star recruits, and you've got a a returning McDonald's All-American. I mean, Jesus Christ. If if those are your three big men, you're very happy with that front court. So um, in in that regard, I think that would make KU – I mean, KU is an elite team every year, but again, I think KU would come into the nation again as a preseason top five team and – uh, 
quite frankly, I think be one of the best teams in college basketball. Let me let me ask you this. Let's say KU were to miss out on, say, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and they still brought in Matthew Hurd, or the other way. You could look at it either direction. They miss out on one and get the other. Who would you, on the current team, think needs to make the biggest step going forward to kind of keep them in that elite conversation? Is it a guard, a backcourt player like a Charlie Moore? Is it like a guy like KJ Lawson, Marcus Garrett? Who would you see as needing to kind of make that jump forward to help keep the team as, you know, a potential national championship contender? So I think it I think it's gotta be KJ Lawson because if you're gonna lose, let's say they lose hurt, then you're gonna play Robinson Earl at the at the four, probably. And then that means KJ Lawson is your three unless they go out and get another uh, high-profile wing. So I think it definitely has to be KJ Lawson. I do like the Marcus Garrett point there, but I think that he'll still be working on stuff. And we have to see what his shot looks like because a lot can change if his shot all of a sudden starts to fall. Then his game will open up entirely. But yeah, I definitely think it's KJ Lawson. I haven't gotten to see him too much yet, so I don't know what areas of his game he necessarily needs to improve upon. But I really think that he could be the one that next year could make the jump and would be a key guy if they're going to make a national title push again. Yeah, for sure. And and playing small ball power forward too, I think, is something he could do mm-hmm. that if KU you know, had a thinner front court, it was senior Mitch Lightfoot, sophomore David McCormick, and freshman Matthew Hurt. And it was like, well, we're going to have a few extra minutes to throw around, you know, the coaching staff saying that. But um, then I think KJ Lawson could be a guy who you would say, well, he's going to play some small ball for. Quite frankly, I mean, the coaches have said there's a chance he plays some on this year's team and it already has a pretty stacked front court. So that might tell you everything you need to know. I agree, by the way. I think KJ Lawson uh, would absolutely be my pick for that, mostly because I think if – it's not to say KU wouldn't have a backup plan in place if they weren't to get, you know, one of their major targets in this class. But at the same time, you know, you're you're not going to be able to create a pairing. Like, I personally think the Matthew Hurt, Jeremiah Robinson, Earl pairing would be, like, incredible to watch just because of the versatility, the speed, and everything. Like, you could play a small ball lineup with having a true power for like, two true big men in the lineup, which... It would give you the defensive, you know, whatever to guard big and normal basketball teams while giving you the speed and athleticism to just create like ridiculous mismatches on the other end. I mean, think about if Diedrich Lawson were playing the five and you brought in like Perry Ellis. That, that's a good example. If Perry Ellis and Diedrich Lawson were your four or five, that team could guard normal teams on the other end. Like they wouldn't have a problem matching up with a normal one, two, three, four, five basketball team. And offensively, you'd be like, well, how in the world do I guard this team that has shooting from everywhere, has versatility, speed, can get up, you know? So uh, that's what I think you're kind of looking at. And and they're obviously different players than those two. Uh, but I would be, if I'm a KU fan, I would get really excited about the potential to have that pairing. And, and like I mentioned, we had a couple exclusives with Jeremiah Robinson Earl up over the weekend. Obviously another exclusive coming with Matthew Hurt, which will be up this week. So uh, plenty of recruiting news coming on KU Targets. Good time to subscribe. Uh, be a VIP subscriber if you have not done that already. So uh, that's pretty much what I've got to talk about this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about thoughts from the evaluation period. Uh, we'll be breaking down a number of KU basketball targets, a lot of recruiting stuff coming next week. Uh, Swain, any other topics to get to before we bounce out of here? Nothing. Just a really quick thought. You mentioned there that 
and I totally forgot to bring this up earlier. Um, you mentioned a senior Mitch Lightfoot. Do you think that he would redshirt this year, possibly? I was doing some minute stuff, playing around with the rotations and lineups and who all gets minutes, and I literally, for the life of me, could not get Mitch Lightfoot a single minute. Yeah, well, if KJ Lawson's going to play any small ball power forward, Mitch Lightfoot won't. Like, there there aren't minutes anymore. Because if Azubuki's playing 23 minutes, even... Uh, Diedrich Lawson plays 27 minutes, or they both play 25. That would be easier math. That's 50. And McCormick plays, oh my God. And McCormick plays 10 minutes, that's 60. And Sylvia DeSosa plays 10 minutes, that's 70. And KJ Lawson plays 10 minutes. There's your full 80. And again, those guys, like, if Sylvia DeSosa is eligible, he's playing a lot more than 10 minutes. And if David McCormick is eligible, he probably plays more than 10. Like, you're right in that they're re- they're just like physically aren't enough minutes. I think he could redshirt. I think what will protect against that is the idea that what if Silvio de Sosa were to yeah. become ineligible, you'd want every big man around, and you wouldn't want Mitch Lightfoot to redshirt for you know two thirds of a season and then be like, "Oops, Silvio de Sosa, you know something just happened. Yeah. Uh, sorry, we wasted two thirds of your season, but do you want to play for us now?" And so, um, wouldn't shock me. In terms of likely red shirts, I think it's Agbaji one, Lightfoot two, and I think that's yeah. still the case. And I think there's probably a 50-50 shot that one of them will red shirt. Uh, but I I do agree. It is near impossible to get him minutes right now just because of the way the KU roster looks. And credit for to him for sticking around all intense all, all signs are, even though Sam Cunliffe was one of his good friends, that he'll be sticking around. So Credit to Mitch Lightfoot for having that dedication and wanting to be a part of the program. He's obviously a gigantic KU fan growing up, uh, but but yeah, there's it's very difficult to see him getting minutes. For sure, awesome, I love it. <laughs> Alrighty, well, enjoy Mexico, and we'll see you back here next week. And thank you to everyone who. Uh, listen to our podcast. Obviously, had a gigantic listening last week talking a little bit about the Hardwood Classic and Folly Dante, Malik Hall, and some of the KU recruits uh, that are around. So uh, a lot more KU basketball recruiting and evaluation stuff to get to next week should be a lot of fun. This has been the Fog.net podcast. Visit kansas.247sports.com for all of your KU info, and we will talk to you next week. Next week.